you have your Bibles and you would, join us to Mark chapter 3 as we're going verse by verse through Mark. And as you're finding that, I'd like to read a card to you today. I would like to thank all of the people that helped to clear up the tree that was blown down in my property during the storm. I appreciate your kindness very much. Thank you again. I feel so blessed and lucky to have a church family like you all. And that is from Sister Betty and Allie. And so thank you for all who helped clean up that tree that was down. Also, I just want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank Brian uh, for filling in last Sunday. I know he means it when he texts me and says, Do you need anything? I think he's just tired of me saying, Hey, Sunday morning, it's all you. Um, but I'm very, very thankful for that. I, I want to just thank Jamie and our musicians. Hopefully you will thank them for the ministry they have, those who sing in the choir. I've never seen, as someone said, so much hair in the back row as there was this morning in the choir. And so, quoted you there. And, uh, and uh, we'd love to see you in the front row of the choir too, ladies. And so, thank you for your service. And that one's going to cost me at some point. But uh, two, <laughs> two weeks ago when I was with you, we started a series about the heart. And we looked at those who were religious, but yet their hearts were hardened. And if you were with us, we looked in verses 1 through 6 about how they came to the temple looking to find fault in Jesus. Then they were called out for their hard-heartedness. And then their hard-heartedness led them to want to murder and destroy Him. And so we looked at those who have a hard heart toward the things of God. Today we're going to look at those who come to God, but it's not for the right reason. It's for what they can get out of God. Maybe it's a material blessing. Maybe it's because your spouse has threatened to leave you if you don't come to church. Maybe it's it's something going on with your kids and you're saying, "I, I just need this or that. Whatever reason it is, you're willing to come, but it's because you want something, not because you want Him. And as I really prayed about this this week, I thought about how guilty we are of lying to ourselves and how our hearts, the Bible says, are deceitfully wicked and how most of us, if we're honest, would rather other people think highly of us than what God thinks of us. And uh, as I thought about what example would that be, one story stands out to me more than anything else probably. Um, I know some of the families here today, and so I'll say this very delicately as they've lost a loved one, but this week our church lost a dear, dear member of this church, Sister Mary. Uh, Mary and Louie have been in this church longer than almost anyone in here has been alive. And uh, sat right back there for my whole time here, years before, I don't know where they sat in the old building, Sunday morning, Sunday night, kitchen committee, uh, deacon, deacon wife, you name it, they did it all. But four years ago, I believe it was, in September, it was business meeting night. Four times a year, my favorite night of the year. I mean, I dread it for a month. I get sick to my stomach. I think, Lord, if the rapture is going to happen, let it be before a business meeting on Sunday night. And ours aren't bad. But on that particular business meeting night, they said, we'd like to talk to you after the business meeting. And I thought, oh, no. What have I done? What have I said? 
went into my office and she made this statement, Jake, I just don't think I'm saved. Well, I can promise you that I was floored. I didn't know what to say. I, I couldn't believe it. She said, Jake, I've talked to every preacher, every evangelist we've ever had, and they've all said, fine. That will be a word that sticks with me the rest of my life. And I said, Mary, if you died tonight, where would you go? She said, I wouldn't go to heaven. And she was saved right over there in that hallway. was baptized a few weeks ago. You say, Jake, what does that have to do with the heart? Friday morning when she took her last breath, absent from the body, was present with the Lord. But if she didn't have the integrity to respond to the Holy Spirit, she would have split hell wide open and been a better church member than almost anyone sitting in here. And friends, this morning when we talk about the heart, I want you to know something. If your heart is not right with Jesus Christ... Nothing else matters. Doesn't matter how much money you give. Doesn't matter how often you come. And let's be honest, there are people in this room today that would rather everyone think they are right with God than to have to admit, I'm really not. But I want to be. You say, Jake, that's pretty close to home. That's what we're talking about this morning. Is the heart. Do you have the willingness to respond to the Spirit of God as He works in your heart, in your life. If you would stand with me as we read verses 7 through 12 in this great multitude that came to Jesus. You remember, they were out to destroy Him, verse 6. But in verse 7, But Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed Him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Amia, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions passed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. If you would pray with me. Father, we come today, Lord, thanking you for who you are, knowing, Lord, that your power, your authority is all that we have to believe in and rely on. And, Lord, we are thankful that your Spirit is at work in this place. Lord, you promised that your word would not return void. And so, Lord, I pray that the preaching of your word through the power of your spirit would change lives today for your glory. Lord, I ask for forgiveness if there's anything in my heart or life that would grieve or hinder what your spirit's trying to do in this place. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Jesus was in the temple. There was one man with a withered hand. And God healed him on the Sabbath. He told the religious leaders, you've been worshiping on the Sabbath, you've been focusing on that, but it's me that you should be worshiping. And so he touches one man's life with all these religious hypocrites. And so right after that, he leaves where all the religious hypocrites are. He goes out into the wilderness where the multitudes of hurting people 
can come. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me this morning. Because hurting people come from all around looking for hope. But Jesus withdrew His disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed Him. And from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan. And those from Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude when they heard how many things He was doing came to Him. It doesn't take us very long to get honest and look in our own lives, in our own families, in our own church, in our own community to know that there are hurting people everywhere. There are people struggling with loss. There are people fighting physical battles. There are people fighting emotional battles and spiritual battles and family situations. And when we look around the world, we see there are so many needs, more needs than we can even comprehend. More needs than we can even fathom or ever hope to meet. But these individuals, you have to remember, lived in a time where you couldn't drive into McLeansboro and find two health clinics. You couldn't drive to Mount Vernon just 30 minutes away and find two major hospitals, an hour and 45 minutes to the east and find three hospitals in Evansville, an hour to the south and find Marion and Carbondale. You couldn't drive two hours to the west and find more hospitals than you can count. And so when someone in this day and age couldn't walk, when they, when they didn't have sight, when, they, when their hand was withered, when they have an issue of blood, when they had an infirmity, they knew that this infirmity was going to affect everything about them. It was going to ruin and alter their life forever. And so onto the scene shows a man who is healing the sick, who is giving sight to the blind, who is causing the lame and the deaf and all of these different infirmities that these people had to be healed. And if you're living in this day and age and you've got a child that's never walked, if you've got a sibling that's been demon-possessed, if you've got a wife that is so sick she cannot function, and you hear there might be a chance, there might be someone, there might be just a glimmer of hope, what do you do? You pack them up. The scholars believe there would have been ten to 40,000 people crowding Jesus at this point, coming to Him to be healed, coming for some glimmer of hope. With every ailment you could possibly imagine, every issue that you could ever imagine. But friends, they missed something. They thought their greatest need was physical. They thought their greatest need was emotional. But what they missed was the fact that the greatest need that they had was to be forgiven of sin. To know that God loved them, had a purpose for them. In Matthew chapter 11, one of the most familiar three verses that you will ever hear quoted states this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus is not really talking about physical problems. He's talking about knowing Him as your Savior. You see, no matter what physical problems you come here today, whether it's emotional, whether it's marital, whether it's financial, whatever it is, those all are small in comparison to the problem of our soul. 
to the problem that we are sinners, that we are at war with God, that we are rebels against God, that we have broken His law, that we have rejected His love. And what this says is if you want something that no one can take away from you, if you want something that can give you real satisfaction, if you want something that can give you hope when hopelessness abounds, when you want joy that surpasses all understanding, when you can have peace no matter the storm, what Jesus was saying is, first of all, come and find forgiveness. Come and find salvation. Come and find the water that will never allow you to thirst again. Come to find real hope and forgiveness that when you lay your head on the pillow, no matter the storm that rages, no matter the fight that you had, no matter the outcome of the doctor, that you can lay your head on the pillow at night and know that while the rest of the world might go wrong, while everyone else might assail me, the Lord and I are at peace. The Lord and I, I'm His. And what these people were looking for was hope, and that's not wrong. But they missed. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This morning, no matter what you need from God, and I believe He can do it all. I believe that God can heal. I believe that God can deliver. I believe that God can save a marriage. I believe that God can bring a prodigal home. And look up here. When you listen to someone that says God can or God doesn't or God won't, they put Him in a little bitty box, you look up here. Don't pee around people like that. You believe that God can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants. He's God! He works! He moves! He saves! But what we see here is he says, you come. Friends, no matter what you're facing today, the greatest need you have is to be washed as white as snow. To know that your sins have been forgiven. You say, well, Jake, I, I, that's, that's not for me. And your heart's wrong. You say, Jake, I don't want anyone to know that I'm lost. I don't want anyone to know that I'm a sinner. Everyone knows that you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But let's see what happens for these multitudes of people that come. Look at verse 9. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him. And because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Now I want you to think about Jesus, a few group of individual men, and ten to 40,000 people trying to get to him. And I want you just for a minute to imagine with me that you're at the middle to the back of that crowd. And you've got a sick child that you don't think is going to make it. You're worried. You're exhausted. You're, you're thinking, I'm tired. Uh, you know, it's not like they drove in their minivan, right? Or the, the big white van like we've got. No, they would have, would have came on an animal that would walk. And from the front of the crowd... You can just see over the top of it. Somebody's up there going, Woo! My legs didn't work! Woo! My legs didn't work! And his family and friends that carried him there are weeping and rejoicing and celebrating. Or the man whose hand was withered. 
You see from the back of the crowd, all of a sudden Jesus reaches over there and the guy's going, please, babies! I can pick my nose with all my fingers now. A child that's on its deathbed with, with very little breath or maybe even loses breath as we've seen in the book of Acts. And that child is made well. And you've got weeping mothers. You've got families celebrating. You've got all this going on in the front. Can you imagine the joy? But then back in the back you're thinking, is he going to run out? Am I ever going to get up there? Am I going to miss this? That was their mindset, remember? About the man at the pool. He says, oh, if I could just get down in the water. But someone always beats me to it. Can you imagine that parent, that spouse, that's sitting halfway back in this crowd of tens of thousands of people thinking, I just need to get there. And so they begin to press. They begin to push. Whatever it takes. You can see the joy and the hopelessness. You can see the excitement, yet the fear. You can see the restoration, but yet the brokenness. And all this is going on. And Jesus says, you might need to get a boat because they might crush me. I want you to see that in the first six verses, they were trying to kill him because they hated him. These five verses, they were not trying to kill him, but their selfishness was all that mattered. You say, Jake, was it selfish to want a miracle? No. But they should have had faith that he could. They should have had faith that God could speak from there and make me well but they didn't know Him. They just knew what He was doing. And this morning I ask you that today. Do you really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or are you just hoping He makes your life better? Do you really know Jesus as the one who died for you, the one that's changed you? Or do you come because it keeps your wife from nagging you? Or it keeps your parents from griping at you? Do you come knowing that I need Him, that I love Him, that I want to worship Him, I want to serve Him. He's done so much for me. I love what Jesus has done for me. I love who He is. He has changed my heart. You see, the Bible tells us that He is our hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Hope. Your hope is not in a pastor. Your hope is not in a church. Your hope is not in your baptism. Your hope is not in the Lord's Supper. Your hope is not in how much money you give. Your hope is not how many talents you have. Our hope is in Him. The one who died in our place. Who was buried in the tomb. And who conquered sin and death and the grave. Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whether you're living today or whether you're looking to the future after this life, He is the hope. He is the answer. He is the one that's worthy. He is the one that changes everything. Third and final thing. Jesus wants the praise of His people. And he knew the hearts of the people. Look here in verses 11 and 12. Some of the most seemingly strange verses in the New Testament. 
And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. You say, wait, this would have been the perfect opportunity for a demon to say, that's the Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords. And there are like 800 different opinions of why Jesus said this. I'm going to give you mine. You don't like it? Come up with your own. One is this. God wants the praise of people who He's changed. Now don't miss that. The Bible says that if we do not praise Him, the rocks will cry out. You say, well, Jake, what, what do you, give me an example of that. I would love to. In Acts chapter 5, two chapters after where we're reading right now, listen to what happens. And when he, talking about Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus had changed his life. Jesus had delivered him from demons. He says, I'm going with you. Jesus, look at verse 19. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how has he had compassion on you? And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. God doesn't need the demons to testify. He has you. And he has me. Did you hear what he said? He said, go back to the people who know you best. Go back to those people that watched you cut yourself, harm yourself, foam at the mouth, throw yourself in the fire, all the things that the demon-possessed people did. Can you imagine the humility? The people that had seen you strip naked, the scene that people had seen you try to harm each other, the people who had seen you act like an animal... I want you to go back to them. And I want you to tell them the good things God has done for you. And friends, that has not changed. You said, oh, Jake, I can't tell people about my faith. Do you know what my past is like? Look up here. We've all got a past. We've all got sins and mistakes that we're ashamed of. We've all got periods of our life that we look back and think, What was I doing? What was I thinking? Why was I saying that? You say, oh, Jake, but I've hurt people. I've let people down. I've made a mess of things. Look up here. It doesn't change the fact that when God saved you, He forgave you. He made you brand new. He gave you a fresh start. He put in you a new heart. And He says, I want you to go back to the people who know you best. I want you to tell them, look what the Lord has done. This is where it gets more awkward. And most of you go from this was an okay sermon to that you don't like it. And I don't care. What happens if I've already been saved, but then I make a big mistake? I can't get up there in front of everybody and say, well, Jake, I've made my profession of faith. I'll be baptized. I get a fresh start. I can't do that. I, was, I know I'm saved and I made a boo-boo. Look up here. God can forgive you just the same. He 
could say, oh, Jake, you just don't know what I've done. Look up here. When Jesus forgave you, the Bible says it is as far as from the east, from the west. That he washes you as white as snow. Satan will try to convince you that you don't deserve a second chance, a third chance, a fresh start. He'll try to remind you that people remember you, that people won't forgive you. Look up here. It doesn't matter! If God says He forgives you, if God says you can have a second chance, if God said you've been washed as white as snow, don't worry about it! That's all right. That was good whether you liked it or not. Some of you ends up just a little too high on yourselves this morning. But that's what He said. Can you imagine that? Having to walk up to the people who had maybe even chained you up when you were demon-possessed. I said, my chains are gone in more ways than one. To those people that we've read in the Bible about the demon-possessed people trying to harm people and almost being like rabbit animals, can you imagine that person that you had chased out of your mind and say, hey, I need your forgiveness because God's forgiven me. You see, oh, Jake, that doesn't really happen. It does when God changes you. When God saves you, when God forgives you, when you understand who He is, everything changes. I believe another reason He didn't want them to say anything is He knew what the religious leaders would do. You say, the religious leaders weren't there at this time. No, but they were on their way. Look just down a few verses after our text in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he has cast out demons. Jesus knew that no matter what he did, they were going to blame it on Satan. They were going to blame him as a false teacher, that he was a false god, he was a false prophet. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There is no arguing with a changed life. The Bible says that Satan can appear as an angel of light. But friends, there is no other way to describe when a liar becomes a teller of the truth. When a drunk becomes sober. When a, when a womanizer becomes faithful. When a thief becomes honest. When a man who hated the things of God lives for the things of God. There's only one reason. It's because he's met the Master. He's met Jesus. And what God is telling us this morning from this text is, I don't know your testimony. I don't know your story. I don't know what baggage you're carrying. I don't know what sins you're hiding. I don't know what brokenness you're carrying. But what I'm telling you is, God wants to handle it, and then He wants you to go into the highways, into the byways, to your kitchen table, into your family gatherings, into your group of friends, and says, look what God has done for me. You say, Jake, why don't people want the things of God anymore? Why don't people care about the things of God? You want to know my honest opinion? It's because we don't talk about what He's done for us. We don't tell about how good God's been. We, get, we, don't, we don't share how good God's been. We don't live in our communities, in our homes, in our families. Parents, do your kids know your salvation story? If I asked your children today, when was your mom and dad saved? What would they say? 
If I was to ask your kids, when was the last time your parents had an answered prayer? I can only imagine as all these people were being healed, the celebration that was going on. But you know what the Bible doesn't say? The Bible doesn't say that heaven rejoices when a person is healed. It doesn't even say that heaven rejoices when a demon-possessed person is delivered. But what the Bible does say is that heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. Last week, as you know, I was sick. I guess it was probably the night that I was the most sick. Our fourth child has been asking a lot of questions and been wanting to be saved for quite a while. As most parents in ministry, you kind of push them off, push them off, making sure it's just not something they've heard all the time. I was sitting on our couch because I couldn't get up down the stairs, and not because I'm too big, but I just couldn't get up and down. Them. And I hear from the living room, my other children, from the, not the living room, from the room where you serve food. The kitchen. Yeah, you all look like you know where it is. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's going to cost me too. I'm sitting on the couch thinking, Lord, I think I'm coming to you. And I hear my wife and some of my kids and my daughter going, I need to be saved. And I thought, of all times, Lord. So she came and sit six or seven feet, whatever it was from me. We talked through the plan of salvation. She prayed and asked Christ to save her. And I sat there thinking, Lord, that's just how you are. You don't need us. You don't need us. The night that I was least expecting it, honestly, the least wanting something like that to happen, God reaches down and works. And this morning, some of you are here today and you're not wanting God to do anything in your life. You are fine where you're at. You've come to church enough to keep your friends and family off your back. You come to church enough to tell people when they invite you to church that you go somewhere. Maybe you're saying, Jake, I'm busy. I, I've got so much going on, but I want you to know something. If you're here today and you're listening to the sound of my voice, God has something in store for you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Even though you might not be looking for Him, even though not you think you're worthy, even though you might not think you need Him, it's no accident that God wants to deal with your heart. Friends, this morning if someone come up and couldn't walk and God answered our prayers right here in front of you, this place would erupt. They'd be talking about it at the restaurant. But you know what? Heaven wouldn't be rejoicing. But I can promise you that if the Spirit of God begins to deal with your heart this morning and you say, I'm lost, but I want to be saved. I'm an enemy of God, but I want to be family. And you'll trust Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Nobody might talk about it uptown, but they'll be talking about it where it matters. And this morning, that's my greatest plea with you, is don't worry about what others think. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about all the things you think you've accomplished for God. If you're here today and you cannot say with certainty that I know whom I have believed 
and that he is able to commit that which I have given to him. Today you need to make it right. John chapter 6 says that when we are saved, we will know. That doesn't mean you don't go through days of doubt. We've all gone through doubts. But if your whole life, the underlying belief that you have is I just don't know. Friends, today make it right. If you're here and you're a Christian, you're saying, Jake, I'm just growing hard-hearted. There are things in my life that shouldn't be there. There are things in my life that I know God doesn't want. But it's my life. I'm in charge. I'm in control. Friends, that hard-hardness won't stop. It'll keep spreading. But don't forget how the Bible closes. If you're thirsty, come. If you're in need, come. Today, whatever burden you're bearing, the Lord can change it if you'll just let Him. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Not my words, but Yours. Lord, we come this morning believing that Your Spirit can change homes, can change marriages, can change lives. But Lord, we have to be willing. Lord, today I pray that Your Spirit would be at work in this place. Lord, for that person who's denied you, that person who's ignored you, that person who's overlooked you, that person who's fighting you, today, God, that your sweet Holy Spirit would work in their lives in such a way that it's yes today. Yes, Lord, for whatever it is, salvation, rededication, commitment, whatever it is today, that today would be that day. Lord, help us as a congregation not to be so prideful that we can't love people in their needs, care for people in their brokenness. Lord, help us to remember this is a place for broken people and to love those that you send us. God, help us to love you. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.